0: Okay. We're going to talk situation in Ukraine here and how it relates to our country, too. It's, it's not just us, but, um, there's definitely some, I, I don't know if I want to call it cracks, but there's definitely a weakening in the resolve, I think. As I said earlier, this Saturday, the 24th of February will mark the second anniversary of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. I, I understand it. You know, there's the case to be made that it started actually 10 years ago, but fair enough. But the, the latest phase, you know what I'm talking about. Um, in the months that have followed, um, things have sort of settled into a war of attrition. That's sort of the take that I get from most analysts, where it's just grinding on. It's pure misery at this point. But to me, there appears to be some troubling signs recently. Western support for Ukraine has been flagging in some corners, despite, uh, you know, a flurry of support pledges that came out last week following the NATO meetings. Canada was part of that, promising some air defense systems. Um, but we've seen a lot of pushback against continuing support for ukraine global attention I think, diverted largely by the middle east of course which i think is understandable so we're about to enter the third year of this conflict what will that look like um let's get some insight here from james horncastle who is an assistant professor and edward and emily mcwinney professor in international relations at simon fraser university james thanks for joining us again i always appreciate your time
1: Thanks for having me on. Glad to be
0: here. Uh, give me your assessment of the situation as it stands today. Uh, it seems like Ukraine facing some some issues. They're uh, putting out all kinds of calls for more support. Where do you think we stand in terms of what's happening in Ukraine?
1: I think 2024 is going to be a critical year, just because of the issue that you raised. Ukraine is starting to, as you said, support is starting to flag for it in the international realm and. There's actually been accusations by the Ukrainian foreign ministry that part of the reason that Adivka fell was the lack of supplies coming in. That said, I don't view it necessarily as negatively as many analysts do. There's been efforts to kind of portray Russia's position as being quite strong, that Russia can continue to end up accepting casualties. This appears not to be the case. There is a little bit of discontent within kind of the broader provinces of Russia and for me 2024 is a critical year for ukraine just in terms of holding on there's going to be opportunities for them to increase their domestic production which should offset some of the flagging support but in the interim i believe that international support is really needed and i'm hoping that the international community kind of recognizes the significance of that
0: I mean, we saw the pledges out of NATO last week, right? A a number of different countries uh, offering all kinds of ammunition and defense systems and all the rest of that stuff. So at least at that level, James, it it looks like it's continuing. But is it enough? Or or eventually will the drag that you and I are both noticing, will that overtake this?
1: Yeah, it's a good start. I mean, the key issue is, is the united states going to be able to continue to provide support there was a bill passed through the senate to end up providing ukraine with extensive arm and ammunition that is currently being stalled in the house of representatives and while the pledges that were made last week start to prime things for ukraine being able to sustain itself if the united states is unable to come through It's really going to end up being a decision of basically the countries within Europe as well as Canada if they're willing to end up providing enough aid to basically get Ukraine through this year.
0: Yeah, and the argument, of course, as we know, is um, you know Canada certainly in the U.S. I think even more so than in Canada. um, You know, we can't continue to send billions of dollars to Ukraine. We have our own problems here at home. That's an important piece of the puzzle. You got to sell this at home, right? If you're going to continue to do this kind of thing.
1: Yeah, exactly, and that has been missing in a lot of the messaging. There needs to be a recognition that this goes beyond Ukraine's immediate interest and actually ends up serving the interests of Canada, Europe, the United States. I mean, you even see challenges created by Ukraine, basically, or Russia's invasion of Ukraine within the international order. You saw Venezuela basically escalating tensions within South America. And if there's not a recognition that basically of the importance of international boundaries, then other states are going to start pushing this to advance their own interests as well.
0: What about inside of Russia? I haven't heard much about the situation domestically for Vladimir Putin. I know he has an election coming up. I mean, for whatever an election is in Russia. Um, but, but what's the state of play in Russia in terms of support and ability to continue this conflict? Where are they?
1: That's a very difficult read, to be honest.
0: One of the issues that,
1: honestly, analysts as well as the international community faces is that they tend to focus their analysis within Moscow and, to a lesser extent, St. Petersburg. Putin has been very careful to kind of try to keep the war from affecting this population as much as possible. That said, we are seeing signs within Russia that, basically, tensions are building up. Um, There's been disproportionate casualties inflicted upon the people in the provinces of Russia because Putin, as well as the Kremlin, have essentially been disproportionately putting the burden of the war upon Russia's ethnic minorities. And we're also seeing quite a bit of inflation within Russia itself. There was a news piece uh, a little while ago talking about essentially that the Russian economy is outperforming expectations, which is true. But that's within the armaments industry. Uh, Commercial as well as agricultural goods, the inflation is skyrocketing. Eggs, the basic staple goods, has ended up increasing by 40%. And we actually end up seeing people queuing in lines for eggs. And Putin issue a rare apology to the people that Mm. this is unacceptable. When Putin issues an apology for something, you know it's fairly significant and he's having to end up responding to it because he rarely does so.
0: Do you think you could ever get to a point, James, where the pressure internally, um, you know, domestically at home for Putin, actually has him change course? Or does, how important do you think that would be ultimately to what he's trying to accomplish?
1: I think it's a, one of the key factors that's not recognized. I would end up arguing that it was domestic factors that largely drew him into Ukraine in the first place, going back to the Donbass in 2014, as he really requires the support of Russian nationalists for his base if the Russian nationalists start to turn against him, feel that he's not doing in the best interest of people, Putin could pivot. I don't want to say he will, mm-hmm. but there's potential at that point because there's a misreading in the West about Putin. He's an authoritarian, autocratic leader, but he still requires the support of certain elements within Russia in order to maintain his very brutal regime, to be honest. Okay. The element that requires is the Russian nationalists, and if they turn against him, he will start to have
0: to pivot as well. If he were, I mean, he, what, does he just abandon this? I mean, this is he's so locked in at this point. What is his alternative? For me, I think Putin is going to have to end up
1: framing whatever happens as a victory. Yeah. We know yeah. It's, not gonna, it's not a victory. Most expectations and analysis is that basically Putin expected to win this war within a couple of weeks at most. Mm-hmm. It has gone rather sideways. Putin, though, is an expert at framing even defeats as victories. For me, how he's going to end up trying to do it is basically say that he ended up protecting the Russian people's interests within Ukraine, that that goal was accomplished, and that's what he set out to do, when in reality we knew he had much grander kind
0: of expectations for the conflict. Just before we go, what about inside Ukraine? There was a big shake-up there. We know Zelensky replaced a lot of senior-ranking military officials. Uh, Where are they in terms of their resolve and and, and their focus on the task at hand?
1: In terms of Ukraine, it's basically we're seeing a little bit of internal tensions play out within the hierarchy. Specifically, Zelensky is trying to end up emphasizing basically that they need to continue to receive foreign aid where his former uh, General Zaluzhnyi was very much more critical, and that's part of the reason that we end up seeing him replaced. Initially, I was actually quite concerned with the individual that they end up replacing Zaluzhnyi with, Mm -hmm. uh, because uh, Mm -hmm. people may know he was the individual that was in charge of the Battle of Bakhmut. And I'd argue that he basically ended up extending the conflict too long and allowing it to become something that Russia was eventually able to basically start bleeding Ukrainian resources. I'm actually a bit more hopeful after uh, the recent news that we end up uh, seeing that he end up withdrawing from a similar protracted battle because... One of my major concerns was that he was going to continue these battles that did not serve Ukraine's interests. Mm-hmm. But his ability to recognize the importance of, okay, this is a fun cause, we need to end up regrouping, actually bodes quite well as far as I'm concerned for the future of Ukraine's yeah.
0: Okay. Interesting. Okay. James, thank you so much for your time, as always. I do appreciate it.